Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Just giving this brief introduction and special thanks to all of our listeners, as this is our 100th episode of the Dig Deep the Mining podcast and a great milestone that I wouldn't, wouldn't have envisaged nearly two years ago when I started this. This has been a fantastic journey for me and all the guests that have appeared on the podcast, providing knowledge and valuable content for you, the listeners, to consume and learn from. Hearing from legends and thought leaders of the industry to specialists and experts in their chosen fields, all contributing to this wonderful industry that we're all part of and trying to make the mining industry better, safer and more rewarding for all those within. I'm hoping these podcasts Episodes are providing you, the listeners, with ideas, thoughts and reflections of how you can improve personally or within a team, operation, company to contribute to a better working environment. Producing these episodes have certainly given me a wider understanding of the industry and I'm continuing to learn more about the unique industry, even though it's heavily criticised by many outsiders. However, All of these episodes couldn't have been produced without you, the audience, tuning in weekly with anticipation of hearing the guests giving insightful content about their life and experience and their learnings of the industry. I really appreciate all the positive feedback I receive and ever-increasing numbers that subscribe and listen to each episode. I appreciate your continued support and help in promoting this podcast to all corners of the world and hope we can Keep up the momentum of sharing and promoting this podcast, giving more people around the world access to this education to help them in their careers. So I think you're going to enjoy this next episode and look forward to recording another 100 episodes over the next two years. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Cynthia Carroll a renowned businesswoman and former CEO of Anglo-American, one of the world's biggest miners, and was actually the first female CEO in the mining industry. Um, Your career has been mainly in the mining and oil and gas industries, and you've accumulated a wealth of experience and knowledge running global companies, and it's a pleasure to welcome Cynthia to our 100th episode. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, coping. that's, (laughs) That's good to hear. Really appreciate your time, uh, taking time out of your day to do this uh, this uh, podcast. Sorry that that was a bit of a brief introduction, as I couldn't find too much about your uh, your background um, through some of the research that I've uh, I've been doing. Um, but what a better time to um, to obviously ask you, so you can explain your story and your journey um, to obviously our selected audience of uh, mining professionals whether that's pure mining people, financial, or even investors that are heavily involved in the mining industry. So appreciate if you can give our audience um, a journey or a story about yourself. So probably back when you graduated and how you sort of developed, uh, developed your career to where you are today. Okay, I'll, I'll try to do that. First of all, my undergraduate degree is in geology. Um, And then I got a master's degree in geology. And from there, I started my career as a petroleum exploration geologist for Amoco Production Company in Denver, Colorado. So I I had the the luxury of uh, spending my uh, summer flying around the the Rocky Mountains in Wyoming and and Utah um, and around the Tetons and helicopters doing exploration. Uh, and during the uh, winter months, I was putting deals together. Uh, but over time, as I was involved in operations on drilling rigs and delivering oil and gas projects, um, I decided that uh, I was I was involved in and exposed to more uh, of the broader business issues that I wanted to go back to school. So, um, so I decided to go to business school. So at the age of 29, I went to the Harvard Business School. 
Uh, and between my first and second years, uh, I was actually headed off for a series of uh, interviews across the United States. And um, I happened to be getting my hair cut and the woman next to me um, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, she saw me reading a case study. Um, you know, uh, uh, can I pass your name on to, uh, to, uh, to a colleague of mine? And sooner, soon after that, he, he gave me a call and he said, I've got your CV, I'd like to meet with you. Um, and I said, I really can't do that. I'm all set up with this, uh, with this tour across the United States, an uh, interview uh, tour. And he said, no, no, I'd like to meet. So we, just on my way out of town, I sat down with him and he offered me a job. Right. And he was the president of Alcan Enterprises um, uh, based in uh, Cambridge. I knew nothing about them. Um, I was determined to, you know, go work for uh, a paper company or uh, another uh, or return to uh, Amico. Um, but he offered me a job on the spot. <laughs> and um, af after graduating with an MBA, I then went to work for Alcan, the aluminum company of Canada, where I was for 18 years. Um, early on, I took on the, um, when I was about 34 years old, I was assigned to manage the turnaround of a packaging company based in Kentucky. And I was there for four years. From there, I went to Ireland where I managed a, a huge alumina refinery complex. And then after three years there, I was approached to move to the headquarters of Montreal, uh, where I worked for the, for the following nine years. Uh, I first led a global business, which was bauxite, aluminum, and specialty chemicals, and then was asked to run the biggest business that Alcan had, which was the uh, aluminum and energy business. Um, and uh, during that time, we purchased a large company by the name of AluSwiss in Switzerland and the French company Pechenet, which you may have heard about. Yep. So we became, I was there for five years running that business. We became the most profitable and productive um, aluminum company in the world with plants in Africa, in Asia, in the Middle East, in North America, in Europe. Um, and then I was approached by Anglo-American to take on the CEO position. So that's how I, that, that's what, what my career progression was up to Anglo. Yeah. So would you like me to talk about yeah. Anglo? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if you can obviously tell us your journey within obviously Anglo um, from obviously when you joined. Um, the company and 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 I, I suppose after that, if you can tell us the sort of I suppose main differences between working in um, sort of an aluminium uh, organization going into a big miner and what the big big differences were. Yeah, well, just to remind everybody, so when I joined Anglo, we were really one of the most diversified mining companies in the world. We were in the top four in terms of our market cap. Uh, we had 90% of our operations in developing countries, uh, mostly in Africa and South America. Uh, Anglo employed about 165,000 people, uh, again, with operations in about 45 countries around the world. We produce metals and minerals from iron ore to thermal and met coal, uh, nickel, copper, uh, platinum group metals, uh, and diamonds. and um, when I started, we owned 45% of De Beers. When I left, we had purchased a, uh, an additional 40%. So we owned 85% of De Beers, which was very significant. Yeah. Uh, and the largest uh, producer of platinum group metals in the world. So I was probably the last sort of person uh, that anyone at Anglo-American would, would run the company, an American, a female, an outsider. All the previous yeah. leaders had been from South Africa. Yeah. Uh, men and always come from within the company. Um, and how, I was, and how yeah. was that? How was that coming from an outs outside of the organization coming into, I suppose, uh, every CEO or every senior manager had been a, a South African. How yeah. did you feel coming into that? And how was, I suppose, how was your initial first few weeks going into that environment? And, and what challenges did you face? Well, I, I think that um, just a you know, general comment about when you arrive into the job, you've got a high level of self-confidence uh, offset by uncertainty and anticipation and excitement. 
Uh, and overnight, you become the focal point um, for everyone. And everybody expects that you understand and you will make the decisions immediately. Um, you know, I, I was hired uh, to transform the, the culture from a hierarchical, rather conservative, inward-looking organization to a world-class, progressive, dynamic, growing, multinational, uh, employing the best people and driving for outstanding results. And uh, the board really thought that the change that they sought uh, could not be delivered by a company insider but someone, someone with a different perspective. So, um, you know, I work to change the culture and the way of doing business. Um, I believe that when I left, the company had been truly transformed um, with overall performance that was best in class and Anglo especially turned, uh, stood out in the area of diversity. So Rob, we, when I arrived, we had almost no women uh, in the operations or as managers, we had little diversity in leadership. When I left, we had eight nationalities represented on the top team and more women than any other mining company in the world. And you know, my view is that diversity leads to diversity of thinking, diversity of approaches, uh, perspective solutions, and ultimately better decisions. So you know, again, to, to answer your question, I was a, I was an anomaly. Um, I was not well, you know, welcomed in, in many camps. Um, you know, uh, Anglo was pretty old school and, um, and traditional and, uh, and, and very um, South African centric. Um, what I discovered, well, I was brought in for, for really three reasons. The board brought me in they knew that some change had to occur. Uh, they, they were looking for more performance, for more results to the bottom line. Anglo had gone through a major uh, transition of being uh, based in South Africa to relisting in on the London Stock Exchange uh, and moving to London. Um, we were getting out of non-core uh, businesses, non-related businesses like pineapple canning and, you know, banking and, you know, auto parts manufacturing. So that work had been going on. So when I arrived, uh, we were just starting to become, you know, become ourselves, be defining an identity. Um, and so, you know, to your question, so what did I do um, early on? Uh, I spent I spent the three first three months traveling around the world, visiting as many representative operations as I could from, you know, Longwall, uh, coal mines uh, underground in Australia to open pit, um, the copper mine in Chile to, you know, deep underground and platinum mine in, in South Africa. And what I could see was that we, we had great people and we had, tremendous assets, um, but we needed a common set of objectives. We needed a vision for the future. We needed to be driving for best, best uh, practice and best in class performance. And our relationship with our stakeholders was, was not good. Um, in fact, I would say it was rather strained. So we, we needed a clear strategy. Uh, we had to focus on value creating businesses and uh, ensure that we were as efficient as we possibly could could be and 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 deploying people in the right places at the right times. So you know I think we um, I think we we really did deliver a performance oriented culture, transparent culture, where everyone was accountable and felt that they were contributing to Anglo America. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned you brought in to change the culture of the organization. How difficult was that? What challenges did you face? And, and what successes would you say you had in your, obviously, period of time that you were there? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, uh, you know, um, going back to, um, to what, the, what the board wanted. So in addition to having a sense that we were not as performance oriented as, as we could be and should be, um, we were also losing about 45 people to fatalities every year. Um, 
And so they knew that safety had to improve. And they also uh, believed that we were lacking in um, one piece of our portfolio, and that was iron ore. So my mandate was really safety, improvement, uh, a complement on the iron ore side, and performance uh, results. Uh, so um, to your question, so as I said, I, I, I could see that we, were, uh, we had tremendous people, tremendous assets, but we were in the middle of the pack, and if you went from operation to operation, we didn't know we were in the same company. So people were not joined up. And even from mine to mine, they were not joined up within kilometers of one another. Um, and you know, I took on the challenge of improving uh, the safety performance um, right off the bat because I made it clear to everybody I was not going to lead a company that was killing people. Um, so that was the starting point. And my premise has always been that, that safety is the key indicator of overall operational discipline, focus, and, and ultimately uh, bottom line results. So, so what did I do? So I, um, you know, I kept in the, in the first couple of months, I kept being told uh, safety is improving. Cynthia, you know, you can see that, uh, uh, that, that the results are coming through, but everywhere I went, I could feel that, you know, I'd ask people about safety and then they'd nod their heads. And that was, that was the extent of it. And by um, the month of June, so I arrived in January of 2007. And in June, um, I was out uh, visiting various platinum mines. I returned to South Africa with the CEO of the platinum uh, business unit. Uh, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, we've had another fatality. And I turned to him and then I said, we are shutting down this mine complex. Um, and he said, well, let's talk about it. <laughs> and I said, we're not talking about it. Um, we, we are going to shut the whole thing down right now. Um, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Please make the announcement. Um, and, and that was a first. This has never been done uh, in the industry, never been done in Anglo-American. Um, you know, there are about 200 miners who are being killed every year in South Africa in mine-related accidents. Uh, so we ended up shutting down the mine for about eight weeks, uh, as I just mentioned. Um, and the safety performance uh, started to improve. Um, and, you know, people were more upbeat. But everywhere I went, uh, I could sense that it was still, people were running scared. I mean, they were paralyzed to make uh make their own decisions or put their hand up and say, there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, and so I thought about it and I thought, who has a vested interest in, in, uh, in driving a very different safety um, performance and approach? And so I approached the, um, the, uh, the, the labor unions and invited them to partner. I don't think they'd, they'd had a conversation with the CEO of, of many mining companies um, I think it, it. I think they were they were very pleased to to join up uh, in our commitment uh, to improve the work environment and protect ensure protection of the employees. And then I, I mean, that was the initial reaction. And I think they were rather skeptical and cynical about it, or wondering, you know, what is she? What is her underlying intent? Because it was very much of a we versus they. Yeah. Um, association yeah. with our stakeholders. And, and then I, I approached the uh, Minister of Mines in South Africa, and I said, we have to be partners in this. Um, and she she looked at me and she said, are you crazy? <laughs> you want to you wanna put Anglo-American in, in the limelight, uh, showcasing the, uh, the poor safety performance and, and the rest of our industry? And I said, that's exactly what I want to do. I want us to be joined up and I want us to be driving together uh, this, this safety initiative. I was gonna so say, we held a summit. In, I was going to say, it, that, it was a bold move and a bold decision. How quickly did you make that decision? Was that an instant decision that you made? And how did people react? Because obviously if it, haven't, if it hadn't happened before and you've recently joined and you're now shutting down a mine, how did how was it received 
was it the right decision? I take it would be the right decision because I take it mining has a does have a particular culture, and they've got a lot. The mining, the mining image and culture has a lot of issues, and you came in to change that. So how how did how was that whole period, and how was it how was it taken? Uh, well, uh, I think I think a lot of people thought I was out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know who is this? Who's this crazy American woman coming in here and, you know, disrupting the entire organization, uh, the entire, you know, our bottom line, really, that set us back significantly in terms of our production in platinum um, and our and our uh, revenues, as you can imagine, mm. our returns. Um, so I think people, some people were completely uh apathetic about it. This can't be done. Um, some people were, I think, applauding that finally something was being done. Uh, and some people just turned their backs. So I, I was not going to, you know, be deterred by that. Um, I was, and, and I should also say, I didn't talk to our board. I didn't go to the shareholders. And, and ultimately, I never got any pushback. Um, the shareholders applauded this um, as they saw results coming through um, as time went on. So, you know, Rob, it's an excellent question, but I didn't think about it for more than a second. I yeah. just said, we've got to do this. This is yeah. a, and it was a, a game changer. Yeah. This completely changed Anglo. And it also, I would say, changed the industry. Yeah. I was going to say, because of that decision and what you did moving forward, did other companies sort of follow suit and and saw you made that first move and then other companies decided, right, we probably need to get working with the unions, not them and us, and work together more with the unions? Yeah, I, I and and other stakeholders, Rob, and, and the governments, the communities. I mean, we needed to connect with the communities. There's, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned image. There's such a we versus they uh, relationship uh, with communities around the world with respect to mining. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I would say, I would say to your question, it actually, I knew that it would put pressure on everybody in taking that decision. I knew that all of the other miners would have to step up to the plate and, and behave and take a very different approach with respect to protecting their employees. And so, so, you know, we had supervisors who were being threatened, mine managers who was being threatened by other mine managers from other companies saying, what are you guys doing? Right. You know, you are putting, you are, you know, putting pressure on us in terms of public disclosure. You're putting pressure on us in terms of, spending more money, more capital, you're putting pressure on us in terms of deploying more resources. Um, you know, we don't want to put these long roof bolts into into the mines. Um, we don't want, you know, we don't want to put the netting that now is going to be required in the platinum mines uh, to, to protect against fall of ground. It was that sort of reaction that we were getting. And I knew that the government was going to step up and they were going to change the standards and they were going to become much more engaged and involved and proactive. So what we did, but Rob, it wasn't automatic uh, with with the government. It wasn't automatic with the unions either with us. So what we did was we had a summit and we joined up and the summit, we invited anybody who wanted to attend. So all the, all the unions, any community leaders, any miners, and we made very public what our performance was, and and as well where we needed to go. Hmm. And then following that, we decided to have a tour of the world of what best practice looked like with with the union members and with the government, and that was a turning point for us in building trust. And getting an appreciation, and this is not all mining, um, mind you, it is, 
I mean, we went into oil and gas operations. We went into chemical, we went into Dow chemical operation around the world. And, and that, that really, um, that was an eye-opening experience for us. And then we were able to join up and align ourselves. So, so, you know, answering your question, yeah, we really set a lot of miners back. It put a lot of pressure on everybody and we couldn't hide anymore. And, uh, and, and it was a real positive. And we became, you know, our safety performance improved over the five years. Uh, number of fatalities dropped from 45 to 13. Uh, you know, we had many of our operations with, with no incidents at all. So mm-hmm. it substantially changed the, the way we performed. And then from there, we were able to address operational efficiencies uh, drive down the costs curve, uh, become much more focused. And I would also say, you know, we work to become one Anglo. So much more aligned across the board. I put out, I decided as well to, um, uh, again, back to operating performance. It was pretty lousy. I mean, some of our, many of our operations were up in the third or fourth quartile of the cost curve. Uh, and so I decided to launch uh, two initiatives, asset optimization and procurement. Um, we went public with our objective on what we were going to deliver over a three-year period. Um, we said we're going to deliver $2 billion in, in cost savings. We delivered 3.2 in, in less time. And, and so that was related to what we did on safety. Yeah. They all go hand in hand. We were we were all pulling in the same direction. Mm. So that big, bold decision obviously turned out very well, So, which is good to hear. And it's obviously shaped what the company is today. Um, I want to, obviously, what being obviously the CEO of one of the uh, sort of biggest miners in the world, what did you learn about being in the hot seat? And was there any regrets that you had being the, the CEO? Well, I think... Um, you know, as as a as a CEO, you're always in the public eye. Yeah. Um, your actions are often scrutinized or, or criticized, and you just have to believe in yourself, uh, working continuously for the greater good of the organization, and not some simply making decisions in response to the media or a demand of one shareholder or the need of one business but always working towards corporate enhancement, increased competitiveness and value creation. And, and, and this really applies not just as a CEO, but whatever job you're in, uh, you've got to stand up for what you believe and, and, and what is the right course of action with the broader organization in mind. So, you know, do I have any regrets? Would I have done some things differently? Absolutely. That's true in any job you have. Um, I could have engaged more with the media. Um, early on, I was so focused internally in, in getting this performance and improving, starting with safety. Um, and, you know, so I didn't pay attention to the media. And then I started reading articles about what we were doing and what I was doing. And I realized they, they, they haven't got it. <laughs> And they so just, they oh, were just I, making their own stories up. And not well, that's exactly, that's exactly yeah. right. They were making it. Don't let the media make it up. <laughs> for you. So uh, you know, I had one, one guy, um, one journalist, a great guy, but he couldn't, he, he finally uh, wrote me an email. I found my email address. He said, Cynthia, I've been trying to get a hold of you for the last three months, but you've got all these people who are blocking, blocking you. And uh, I said, let's go let's go take a walk in the park and let's talk about that. So, so I really work to open things up and yeah. to, to be much more engaged and, and understanding of, 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 you know, our public persona, our brand, our reputation, and, you know, how we needed to get, engage more um, proactively. Yeah. I want to move on from uh, Anglo-American. Um, and in 2008, obviously, I suppose junior time at um, Anglo, um, in 2008, you were ranked by Forbes as the fifth most powerful woman in the world. And then in 2009, uh, you were um, voted the fourth most uh, powerful woman in the world. How did that feel? 
And and did that change anything about about you as a person? No. <laughs> <laughs> no is a simple answer. No, no. Uh, I I would say my career was not planned, Rob. Yeah. And, and everybody on this on this call, I mean, you know, life life is so unpredictable. I had some luck along the way. I had some great mentors uh, and people who backed me, um, supported me, encouraged me. Um, I didn't necessarily seek them out, but but uh, you know I was lucky enough to encounter these people. I ne- never sat down and put together a five-year career plan um, with milestones about what I wanted to, where I wanted to be at certain points of time. Um, and I never really thought about becoming the CEO of a, of a multinational, uh, but I was very, very focused on doing the best job in, in whatever circumstances, whatever job I was, I was doing at the time, whether it was a, as an exploration geologist or CEO of Anglo-American. Um, and, and I was not focused on you know, racking up achievements or awards or rankings or public recognition. Um, It's just not me. I was just working to do my best and always working towards improving the broader organization. And and our performance wasn't about me. It was about us. Yeah. Um, You mentioned mentors and, and obviously during probably that time at Anglo. Did did you go and seek those mentors or did the mentors come to or what maybe one or two come to you because they saw what you were doing and how you were changing, changing a huge organization? Yeah, um, the, the answer is uh, I did not seek mentors, but I have always been uh, very interested in talking to, to anybody. And um uh, and I think pretty open-minded. So, um, so early on when I got that packaging job, so I was a strategy analyst at, at, at Alcan in Cleveland, and I really just did not like my job. Um, and I was actually looking for another job. And then I was assigned to the M&A group in Montreal, and the, the head of that group, he was at the time responsible for um, – business ventures for, for Alcan, um, for whatever reason, he said, you should be running a company. You should be running a business. Um, you know, I was 33 years old at the time. And I, I have to tell you, I hadn't really thought much about it, but, um, but I had a lot of energy, a lot of drive, always working towards uh, performance with a team. And so was that the skills that they saw? Was that, the, was that the skills that, that this person saw in you to, to suggest that? Yeah, I guess he, I guess he did. I mean, pretty analytical, uh, pretty good at communicating, uh, you know, low ego, pretty relaxed with myself, um, comfortable with myself, very direct and very driven. Um, and so I guess he did, Rob. Um, and so he said, I think I have the business for you to run. Uh, it is a, um, a packaging company in uh, in Kentucky, a standalone business. Um, and so I went down for an interview. Um, <laughs> the guy who would be my boss, so he was two steps uh, above me, um, this man who identified me. And the guy who would be my boss uh, told me that you're not ready. You don't have any experience. You've never run anything you know, this is a challenging business. Uh, and so, you know, maybe you can take the operations role. And I can't tell you why I reacted as I did, but I said, no, nope, I can I can be the, uh, uh, the general manager of this business. I can run this standalone business. It was a business that was in a, a, a total mess. I mean, it was a complete turnaround. We were right on the brink of closing. Um, and so uh, the, 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 his boss in Montreal said, you've got to take her. Again, Rob, I don't know why he said that, but <laughs> I got in and um, again, we had, we had union issues. We had patent infr- infringement cases. We had EPA lawsuits. Uh, we had our largest customer um, 
approached us and said, we're going to consolidate to uh, three major suppliers to one. And, um, and we're going to decide this over a two-month period. And you've got to put together a, a proposal of how you would be that one. Uh, we didn't have the we didn't have the people. We didn't have the um, the technology that we needed. We didn't have the quality controls. We didn't have the production lines. Um, but I thought we had no other choice than being real to be really aggressive. And so, with the finance director and the uh, the operations manager at the time, we put together a proposal, and I put it out to this customer. Again, we, we were not the first uh, supply, the biggest supplier to them. We were number three, and um, and they called us back in. We won all the business, and I went back to the I went back to the uh, the, the the plant, and um, and I had one person after another lining up to say, Cynthia, there's no way we can do this, no way. But we turned the whole business around. We quadrupled our revenues in about 18 months, doubled our bottom line. I mean, we did things that nobody ever imagined we could do. So that I still have, I'm still getting Christmas cards from people <laughs> saying, you know, that was the best time in my entire career. It was fantastic. Yeah. And so that experience was a launching uh, pad for me. But you know, to your question about mentoring, it's just the kind of who you run into, who you are willing to talk to, um, I should also mention, because this has been mentioned in the press, um, I was, when I was at Alcan and running the aluminum business there, I went to Davos and I attended an early morning session about five, 7 a.m. walked into the room, I think it was with uh, KPMG or something, and there was a white-haired man sitting in the corner at the table by himself. I went over, introduced myself. We sat down and we chatted. Um, I said, what do you do? I, he said, I'm with Anglo-American and I'm with Alcan. And then I saw him a little bit later. And I said, what do you do for Anglo-American? He said, I'm the chairman of the company. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then about six months later, I got a phone call from a headhunter saying, Anglo-American would like to talk to you about the uh, CEO job. So, Rob, you never yeah, know. You never you know. You never know. It, it sounds from some of the examples that you've that you've mentioned, you've looked at a business or an operation and you've made bold decisions in terms of changing and doing something that maybe hasn't done before. Um, and both some of these examples that you've been given um, you've gave has suggested that. So it seems to me you're someone that can make change. Has it can be in, in, innovative? May have not happened before, but you've stuck to your guns. You understood the the, the problem or the challenge. You've made. You said, right, this is how we're going to change. Whether it's been done or not before, and you've stuck to your guns, and it's proven to be proven to be right. Is, is that? Would you say that's a fair assessment of? That's that's exactly right. I yeah. I. I there have been so many times in my career, and, and, and I would emphasize this or amplify this with everybody on the line, you know, don't let people deter you. Uh, you know, there have been so many times that I've been the only person standing or the only one in the room that says, we've got to go in this direction. Everybody else says, no, no, we have to go in this direction. Mm -hmm. in, in many cases, because it's the easiest yeah. direction to go in. And, you know, it's hard work to, 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 you know, stand up and stand out and say, this is not working, or we've got to make these bold moves. We, we've got to take a different, different call here than what we're comfortable in doing, but it's the right, it's the right call. Yeah. So, and Rob, I want to emphasize also, this is not, you know, this is not just me. It's, I had to build teams around me who were also part of this journey, who were part of these, these initiatives, who were part of these drives, and uh, just phenomenal people who, you know, we're all pulling in the same direction. We're all motivated by the same sorts of thing. And, you know, to, to, and the guy on the shop floor or the guy underground, that they feel 
connected. They feel part of the organization. They feel a vested interest that where they're contributing to, to the organization in a significant way. And one thing I, you know, early on in, in, in Anglo, we put a set of values together. One of them is care and respect. You respect everyone and value their input. And that was a problem with safety um, that was quite evident was that people, you know, it was easy to, if, if one person was injured, hire another, another person or replace them. You know, it's not hard to find people who want to do these jobs, um, but people have to feel the ownership. They have to feel the pride in part of being, um, uh, you know, with with a company. Yeah. Brings us nicely on to the next question. I obviously want to get your views on this. Um, being a female in the mining industry obviously must be a must be difficult, um, especially if you want to develop your career. How should they approach their career and get get the best out of their journey and obviously like you have reached the heights that you you have or reach heights what what would you suggest to any sort of females listening to this and and in the mining industry um what what how can they how can they move move forward with their career especially in a male dominated industry what what kind of things could could you um uh, well, I, I, I'll make these comments, um, and they're particularly relevant in the mining industry because, as you say, it's a, you know, this is my comments apply to really all people in all industries, and um, and particularly mining uh, because it is a traditional um, conservative, generally conservative industry. Um, but first of all, I would say you need out, you need to look out for your own career uh, development. Um, no one else is going to do this, and you know you can talk to the HR directors in your respective organizations, and they can be hugely helpful. But you have to manage it. You have to think about uh, where you're headed and what you need to improve. You need to have conversations with your boss and other senior managers uh, who have a connection with you about what you're doing right and what you need to improve. And mm. I can tell you, as you go further and further up in the organization, it's it's harder and harder to get that open, frank input. People don't mm. want to tell you yeah, yeah. that you did something wrong or you're, you know, made a mistake uh, with such and such. So seek honest input from your subordinates from your peers and from your bosses. Um, I would say take risk and try different experiences um, and work internationally if you can. You know, uh, and, and I would also say, unlike most men, women don't tend to believe that they're ready to take on a bigger responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, they, they don't think that they're fully prepared. Um, you know, they maybe need more training. They have to demonstrate proficiency in what they're doing. Um, so, so it's rarer for them to put their hand up and say, you know, I want that. Um, I've lived in four different countries um, and had enormously uh, rewarding experiences in doing that. And I would say with my family as well, we have four children. I had my first child, um, you know, I was running the packaging company. Um, I had I had women working for me, and one woman in particular, uh, just tremendous. She, in her short career span, uh, went from being an operations manager. She she went into a technical engineering role. She went back into finance. We appointed her to be CFO of a business unit, and then ultimately, be, she became a CEO of a business unit. Um, you know, so I would say take chances and take chances, you know, whether it's within a, within functions, operations and functions, try different things um, and, and don't don't stay in one place for long. Um, keep learning and developing. And that that gets that, that applies to all of us, uh, you know, whether that means getting another degree uh, taking a university course or an executive program, um, you know, take a complementary subject like finance or accounting, learn a language, improve your public speaking, 
it's good it's good for you both personally as well as professionally and then and then find a balance between work and family and you know women ask me all the time how do you how i i, I may i may uh, forgo having children uh, you know in order to have a career i don't think you have to do that uh, you know i didn't do it uh, i have a husband who's an accountant he ultimately we decided that somebody had to stay at home so we did that but you know i had those four children throughout my career while i was always managing businesses um and it just takes balancing and prioritizing but it can be done um i i would say that you know to your question about mentors reach out to a lot of people inside and outside of the organization um particularly in the area of of mining i think it's good to have a network of women uh, with common concerns to bounce ideas off of, so work to organize this in your in your respective uh, uh, businesses or companies if if it's not there today, and and work to expand that, and work to invite uh, people from the outside to give different perspectives, um, and I, and I think it's also really important that women make management understand what it feels like to be a woman, to be the lone woman. So, you know, work on, you know, there's cultural resistance. There's no question to change um, or diversity. So, you know, help them to open their minds, um, help them to um, develop diversity training programs and and I think men in the organization have to be part of this. This is not just about educating women about diversity and a few managers. It's about having everybody across the board uh, being part of that conversation. Um, and and then you know I've already said keep an open mind in terms of connecting with people, um, and live by the highest standards. There's so many pressures on all of us today. Uh, and particularly in the mining industry, I could have, I, you know, I've, I've run businesses with operations in very problematic parts of the world where a lot of corruption, uh, corruption uh, you know, people looking for paybacks, um, you know, you're lived by those, the highest standards, you're role models for men and women. And, you know, again, don't be swayed by the crowd. Um, even those who are people who are more senior to you, uh, do what you think is right. Trust your judgment. Um, and in my view, women in mining today have huge opportunities to thrive, uh, but they have to take chances and they have to take chances to break new ground and achieve the unimaginable um, and really aim higher. Yeah, there's some wise, encouraging words there. So um, appreciate uh, people that are listening. Uh, obviously, take note. Um, it's widely been known, obviously, that mining has a image issue, um, and the world perceives uh, and what the world perceives of actually mining. What changes do you think the industry needs to implement, um, and how do how do they address these issues um, and perhaps turn it around? Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no question that that mining has has a damaged uh, image. Um, you know, we've just seen it with Rio Tinto recently, with the mm. aboriginal aboriginal destruction of uh, aboriginal sites in Australia. Um, the CEO lost his job. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a lack of public trust mm. um, and confidence in mining companies, and this has been going on for for decades and, and I would say more than a century. Um, you know, mining is a business to business, business, B2B business. Um, people don't understand, don't know, uh, the guy on the street doesn't know what mining is. Mm. Um, and, and the negative headlines uh, really are across the gro- globe. You know, very often harm to people, harm to the environment. Um, you seldom hear positive stories about mining. Um, and mining, unlike other sectors, hasn't really invested much in public communication um, and advertising and branding. Um, and, and mining also 
mining companies have been very slow in responding to technologies, to our changing world uh, with respect to modernization. So, you know, how do how does the mining industry change? We have to prioritize um, all of our ESG issues. Uh, you know, focus our efforts on our environmental footprint, on our community relations, on our uh, personnel relations, on corporate governance, on you know our community involvement, um, public governance. I think that the disclosure is happening more and more. ICM, their work with the uh, tailings dam uh, disclosures uh, backed by the Church of England um, and resulting in new industry standards published in August is, is, a, is a first step. Uh, but we need to address legacy issues openly and transparently with constructive dialogue with uh, relevant stakeholders. And that's government and regulatory bodies um, we need to create more scorecards, uh, reporting and tracking our progress. And, you know, this goes a long way in addressing our trust deficit, so to speak. Mm. Um, we need a social compact with our stakeholder groups, um, born out of courageous conversations with, with, and bold leadership uh, with our constituencies. Uh, we need to embrace technology and move a lot faster than we have been. Um, and, you know, this is happening, but, but, but not at a great next speed. Um, we need to do more with respect to crisis management and risk assessment uh, to limit the, the downside uh, damage and protect our reputation and license to operate. And, and as I also mentioned, you know, positive communication and branding, but, you know, the, 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 the root causes accelerate modernization, diversity, step up on green initiatives. Um, and, and if this is not triggered by us, it'll be triggered by others like the, the investment group, which, I mean, they're putting a lot of pressure on uh, us today. Mm. That is certainly a long list of a uh, list of things. Where do we start? <laughs> well, I, I think I think there's a yeah, good question, Rob. Not easy. Um, I think the technology is coming. I think there, you know, there's use of, of remote centers now, remote controls. A lot more sensors are being used. Digitization is being uh, uh, applied uh, more universally. Use of drones. Um, we've got to be thinking about decarbonization of operations and a lot more of this again is happening at, at Anglo. We thought about, um, you know, a processing plant that used no water, recycling everything on our sites. So, you know, that, that is happening uh, with respect to protecting our environment. Um, I think that there, there shifts with respect to commodities so, uh, you know, the, the, the obviously a great move out of coal, uh, more focus on copper, more focus on lithium, on cobalt, and those, those uh, commodities that apply to the, the high-tech uh, applications and industries. So, you know, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's a real challenge. I think it starts with open conversations, open dialogues with with our stakeholders about what we need to uh, change. It's not going to be easy. I mean, we're talking about the nature of our work is going to change. We need more gender equality. We need many more women. We need many more, much more representation of nationalities uh, of the local community in our organization. We need to be more inclusive in social investing. Um, and so uh, the speed and, and cost is becoming greater. There's no question. Um, and, and the labor pressures will also be there in adopting new talent, uh, technologies. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think it's about, it's about starting with those technologies, but then having a much more open dialogue with yeah. the stakeholders yeah i mean as a service provider to the industry 
the way I see it is I think the world needs to be educated around mining. How that's done, I don't know. Um, but I just think the majority of people don't actually understand mining. And all they see is negative headlines about mining. But what they don't realise is everything around us is either mined or it's, or it's grown. And I think just how it's done, I don't know. Obviously, with the use of social media, um, it needs to get that message out. I don't know. Again, I don't know who, who puts that out there, but it just needs to be a collective collective for the mining industry to get that message out there. And it's good. it will take years and years and years to change the perception of people. Yeah. But it's actually understanding just the fundamentals of mining. Um, that it, it's We need mining. It's not horrible. It doesn't affect the um, damage the environment as they perceive it does. Um, so that's, that's my little part of what I see about the mining industry. And um, yeah, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to turn around. No, it's not. But I do think, I think it starts with transparency. Yeah. Uh, openness. Um, it starts with those dialogues and being very uh, progressive and, and taking risks. Yeah. Um, and, and we, we have got to be driving to protect our environment and, and consider climate change in everything that we do. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, you know, if, if every miner did that, we would be in a much better spot. And to your point, we need to showcase best practice mm. publicly. We need to get the messages out about what good miners are doing in terms of creating jobs, in terms of training people, in terms of uplifting communities, in terms of supporting infrastructure development in places where they never imagined. All of that is part of the story, and, and we have to be much more public about that. Yes, certainly. Um, which, again, brings on to the next question I've got. You've been, obviously, you've worked in the oil and gas industry, and I wonder what the main differences are between the oil and gas and the mining industry, and what lessons can the mining industry learn? They always seem to be behind behind oil and gas. So what practices would you say that they need to adopt that oil and gas have been successful in that I suppose overcome some of the challenges that mining that mining has. Yeah, I think um, I mean the biggest difference between oil and gas and mining is that the oil majors also have uh, large retail businesses. So they, you know, that that makes branding and public perception a major major priority. Um, and as a consequence, the oil majors invest a huge amount in public campaigns. So, you know, whether that's advertising or promotions, you know, um, across the board to, me to manage those public perceptions. Uh, you know, you, you think about BP, I was on the board of BP for almost 10 years. Everybody knows the BP logo, everybody. Yeah. And it, it it's everywhere. Mm. It's in airports, it's in, you know, your, your grocery stores, it's, uh, you know, the billboards, whatever, it's everywhere. And, and that, that's a very sp strong um, uh, logo uh, in, in uplifting the familiarity of, of BP with the public. Um, so I think that's, that's one big difference. I think the other is that the threat is so real in terms of carbon uh, decarbonizing and climate change for oil companies, they have no room to go but to decarbonize. Mm. Uh, and so they, you know, this is their business. This is their bread and butter. So, you know, they've got to be thinking very holistically about how to change. And they're doing that. And at the same time, uh, like Bernard Looney at BP, making an announcement by 2050, they will be net zero. Yeah. They, will be, they will not be producing any carbon. I mean, that's a, that's a very, very ambitious target, uh, very aggressive. And I think it's a, a leadership position in the industry. Um, so, you know, I think they're moving much more aggressively towards green businesses um, and I think that the mining industry needs to take note. I mean, you know, BP 
is invested in wind power, they're invested in biofuels, they're invested in fuel cells, uh, they're invested in OEM batteries um, for use in, in, in electric vehicles, um, you know, CO2 use of processing in, in plants. So they're, they're looking across the board at what they mm. can do. The mining industry needs to do the same. We're doing it slowly, but not with the same, not at the same pace. Mm-hmm. And not with the same drive and determination to to substantially change. Yeah, um, I've got a couple more questions uh, before I slowly wrap this up. Um, how how do you actually see the mining industry developing over the next decade, and what challenges do you see them facing? Well, I think as I've already said, I think um, I think a couple of things. One is technology. Technology is going to change things hugely in mining mm. and they're gonna there will be fewer people or, or people doing different jobs yeah. so there would be remote locations there there would be uh autonomous uh fleets of trucks i mean they're, they're working on that today and it is happening to some degree they're going to be uh you know the mine planning will be a very different thing into the future than it is today um i think you know, underground operations will be far, fairly autonomous, um, and we were working on that at Anglo American when I was when I was CEO. I think uh, again, decarbonization is happening. Um, you know, whether it's use of of, uh, of fuel in trucks, um, it, it's use of uh, renewables uh, to power the uh, the plants. That is happening, and that's going to be happening at a much um, uh, more aggressive pace, I believe. Um, and then again, the, the the shifts in commodities that's changing significantly to moving out of of some of the uh, bulk commodities, particularly coal, into into base metals and yeah. and uh, and some of the platinum group metals. Yeah. So that you know that's. And, and then I think the makeup of the workforce will will change, no yeah. question. And there will be greater partnerships, I think, between uh, stakeholders, between the governments, between the communities, and between the miners. It can't go on where there's a divide, hmm. and and the and those communities don't understand what the miners are doing. There's got to be a a linkage between them, yeah. and they've got to all be working towards best practice. Uh, in the communities with yeah. the, with the company, they need someone like yourself to come in and make those bold decisions. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Well, <laughs> helping to support, I'm here to support yeah. and encourage. Certainly. Um, and lastly, what is Cynthia doing now in business in the world of business? Well, I'm. Uh, I sit on a lot of boards um, from a, a Japanese uh, company, Hitachi, to American boards to Canadian companies, um, ranging from specialty uh, chemicals to energy technology to uh, aluminium uh, and to high-tech uh, industrial public companies as well as private equity. Um, so it's all fascinating. So you know, I'm I was on a call last night, a board of directors call with uh, with uh, with one co- with Hitachi. You know, we have three hundred twenty-five thousand employees around the world. It's very global. It's trying to become that much more global. Um, it is a highly sophisticated, um, high-tech uh, technology industrial company that produces uh, bullet trains to uh, medical equipment uh, and water treatment facilities. So, so um, you know, it's fascinating. So I'm, I'm involved with a lot of industries, a lot of companies, and and I enjoy it a lot. I do a lot of speaking engagements as well with institutions around the world. Yeah, it seems you're keeping really busy. And I suppose the diverse amount of companies that you're working with on the boards, you must be looking at and learning a lot of different different things, especially in different industries. Must, yeah. be, must be really exciting. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's very exciting. I mean, we live in a hugely dynamic and challenging world. Um, and we can't sit still. We cannot sit in the same place. We have got to be moving forward or 
somebody else is going to be leapfrogging ahead of us. So um, we've got to be very forward thinking, um, very open to um, different approaches, creative, innovative, progressive, um, and again, very open-minded. Yeah. Cynthia, really appreciate your time, uh, taking the time to do this podcast. Um, I'm sure the audience would have definitely learned a lot from, from, um, from what you've been through um, and some of the suggestions that you have made. Um, so really appreciate your time today. Um, and thank you for being our, uh, being on our, our guest for a hundred episodes. So really appreciate your time. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.